Get started. Okay, we're going to do a three-part series getting ready for Yantim. Normally what we've done in years past is some sugya that's related to Rosh Hashanah. And I figured my own experiences that usually happens, or Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot all of a sudden comes right after Yom Kippur. There was no preparation for that. We spent all the time getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. So we're going to learn a sugya, a topic that's related to Sukkot, even as we get ready for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It'll, it'll tie in nicely to those uh, topics, of course, those days as well. But uh, really dealing with Sukkot. And that's the particular mitzvah of Hidur, of beautifying mitzvahs, which is a concept that applies to mitzvahs in general. Gemara learns out from the phrase that we say every day in Shir, uh, in Az Yosher, Zek Keliva Anvehu, this is my God, the Anvehu, which literally means, and I will build a sanctuary for him, which the Gemara understands is from the language of Noeh, and I will beautify him. His Noeh lefan of the mitzvahs. You should always do mitzvahs in a beautiful way. Your lulav should be beautiful, your shofar should be beautiful, your tefillin should be beautiful, and that's a general concept. But we find that concept specific to the Arba Minim of Sukkot, Lulav, Esrog, Adasim, and Aravos. And that's because of the Pasuk, which teaches us about the taking a Lulav and Esrog. The Pasuk says, You will take for yourself on the first day a pre-Eitz Hadar. A pre-Eitz Hadar. We don't actually find the word Esrog in the Chumash anywhere. The Torah never uses the word Esrog. It calls it a pre-Eitz Hadar, a fruit of the beautiful tree is what you should take, together with a kapos uh, marim, the branch from the date palm, via naf eitz ovos and aravos, the arve hadasim, via arve nachal, and the aravos, usmachtem lefnei Hashem elokeichem. And you'll rejoice before Hashem. We are going to be starting on daf chof tes amud beiz, 29b, as where we will be starting from in a moment. So that creates the fact that the Torah calls the esrog a pre-Eitz Hadar, the fruit of the beautiful tree, creates a concept which we will now see that the Arba Minim, the four species that we take, have to be Hadar, beautiful. Now, there's a lot to talk about that. We'll just make that as an opening uh, statement as, uh, as we begin the process. Okay, let us, let's get started as we do so. Now, again, this, I hope this will be a three-part series on this particular topic of beauties in the eye of the beholder and how we'll see many different fascinating aspects, really we'll focus on one, I should say, honestly, of this concept of Hadar, Hadar of a Hidur Mitzvah. And we'll start with the Mishnah. Today what we're going to do is lay the groundwork. We're going to do, a, a, it might be a lot of Gemara, but we're just going to do the basic Gemara, and then Mirza Hashem in the next two weeks will build on the Gemara that we learned and some fascinating discussions that the Rishonim have on it. But let's just start. First Mishnah in the third parak. again, we are on Daf Chav the Mishnah says, a lulav ha-gazol v'hayavesh is puzzle. A stolen lulav, or a dried out lulav, both of which are possible. You cannot use either one of them. We'll get back to this. This is what we're going to focus on. I just want to learn a little bit more to get the big picture of what the Mishnah is going to do, because the Mishnah is going to teach us about a number of disqualifications of a lulav that you can't use. So the first two is if it's stolen, and the second one is if it's dry. Then the Mishnah says, Shel Asherah v'shel Iranidachas. Shel Asherah means a tree that was worshipped as a Vodazara. It literally was the tree itself was worshipped. So then anything that comes from that tree is forbidden to be used. So the, if you take a lulo from such a tree, you can't use that as well. Nor can you use from an irnidachas, which is a city in which the majority of the inhabitants of the city, Jewish inhabitants of the city, worshipped also idolatry. 
So the property of the city is destroyed, and so a lulav that came from such a city also could not be used. The Mishnah goes on to say if the top was cut off or the leaves fell off, all of those would be no good. Rabbi Huda says, which we need to comment because we're going to get back to this later today, Rabbi Huda says, if the leaves fell off, excuse me, if the leaves fell off, it's possible. Let's say the leaves opened up, meaning they're still attached, but it's spread out like an accordion so that you have this, the spine of the lulav, and normally all the leaves are up against the spine. All the leaves were, were out, but they're still attached at the bottom. So the chachamim, oh, it's fine, as long as they're attached, the lulav is kasher. Rabbi Yehuda says you have to tie the leaves up so that they're bent down. Only at their base of each leaf is it attached to the spine. So you have to bend them back up and tie it up so that when you hold it, it looks normal. That's Rabbi Yehuda's opinion as far as the uh, leaves go. Okay, let's just talk about those first two. Why is a stolen lulav no good? Why can't you use a stolen lulav? No, yeah, why? It's... Okay, so this brings us, the Gemara has a long discussion, one of the classic discussions in all of the Gemara, you're, you're, you're also true, of mitzvah haba ba'avera. Can you fulfill a mitzvah that came about only through violating a prohibition? On the first day, for sure you couldn't use a stolen lulav because of what David mentioned of, has to be yours. You could only use a lulav, ulukachtem lachem. Has to be yours, not mine. So that's for sure you couldn't use it on the first day. What about every other day? So even on the subsequent days, you couldn't use a stolen lulav because mitzvah baba. There, the Gemara gets into a long discussion about that. What about a dry lulav? Why can't I use a dry lulav? What's wrong with a dried out lulav? So the Gemara is going to comment in the first couple lines of the Gemara that the problem is because it's not hadar. That's not a nice or beautiful lulav. It's simply not. It's, it's dried out. It's yuck. It's yellow. Whatever the case may be, you can't possibly use a dried out lulav. Now, this is going to get us into the discussion that we will have. I'm going to flip a page or two. Which of the four species does the Torah actually use the word that it should be a fruit of the beautiful tree? Only the pre Hadar, only the Esrog. By the way, one very important comment that we have to make, we're going to get back to this many other times as well, just parenthetically throw this in. There are different, uh, the, the Rambam lists three major categories of Torah Shabal Peh, of the oral law. Three major different categories. There are two, two categories which are relatively small, meaning you can list all of the examples of it, and then the third which is enormous. The two that are relatively simple are what he calls Perushim HaMekubalim the accepted interpretations of various phrases that we find in the Torah. It's an oral law. How do we translate this phrase? This phrase is translated to mean this, and it's part of the oral law. That is, that's how we know that. For example, he says, one of the most famous classic examples that he brings is that a pre eight hadar is an esrog. That is the classic example of Torah Shabal Peh, the oral law, in which we have a phrase in the Torah. It's unclear how to translate it. What is the fruit of the beautiful tree? And we have a, a misora that it means the esrog. The second category are what he calls kabbalas, or just traditions that we have, which are not attached to a particular phrase in the Chumash. Meaning, for example, what color are tefillin? That was an easy one, right? They're black. What shape do they have to be? Well, how do we know that? 
where in the Chumash, when it talks about totafot bein einecha and laos al yadecha, is there any reference that they should be black or square? We don't have any peritvillin that we've ever found that have not been black or square. Where did it come from? That says the Ramban, or it says the Rambam, is our second category of an oral tradition that we have, now it's, meaning the difference between that and the first category. The first category is there's a phrase that I don't know how to translate, pre eight hadar. What does it mean? That means an esra. The second category is there's a mitzvah of tefillin. How do I do it? It's not translating a word. We have a misora. We have an oral tradition. It's black, it's square, and that is how we make our tefillin. You could list in on, on half a page all of the examples of both of those two categories. The third category of the oral law is, is the Gemara. All the drashas and all the 13 midos. Rabbi Shmuel Omer, Bishloshas Remidos, Hatarna Drashas, but 13 different ways that the Torah is done, and all the different ways of doing it. That's the third category of the oral law, and that you know, takes up libraries to, to really encompass all of that part of the. Oral law. In any case, that's the Priyatadar is a classic example of the tradition that we have of uh, that it means in Esrog. So why can't I use a Yavesh? Why can't I use a dry Lulav? Because it's not nice. It's not nice. Now, the Priyatadar, the word Hadar only went on the Esrog, Priyatadar. The next three words of the Pasuk describe the Lulav, Hadasim, and Aravos. Does the word Hadar of the beauty that applies to the way that we're going to dress the esrog, does that also apply to the other three items? So from our Mishnah, if I just, we just read our Mishnah that says a dried out lulav is no good, what's wrong with a dry lulav? I took the Torah said, take a lulav, I took a lulav, who cares that it's dry? Oh, it's not nice. What would that imply? Do we, do we attach the word hadar from the esrog to the other minim? Absolutely. The Tan of our Mishnah, the author of our Mishnah, the Chachamim, clearly held, yes. We are now going to address that issue. We're going to see a machlokas as to where do we apply this concept of Hadar. So if you'll flip two pages, four to Daflamid Aleph, Amid Aleph, 31a, from the bottom, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. Uh, 22 lines up from the bottom. So it's really 22, about 22 lines from the bottom. I don't know how else to give you a better. The first word, in the, wor- uh, the, first word on the line is the word dummy. Dalid mem yud. And we're going to start from the second word on the line. Hope everybody has where I am. Yeah, we're good? About 22 lines up from the bottom. First word on the, li- on the line is uh, dummy. Tana. We learned in a brisa as follows. Yavesh is possible. So this brisa is going to mimic our mission, except it's going to add a second opinion. The brisa says a yavesh, a dried out lulav, is possible. Can't use it. Just like our Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda machshir. However, Rabbi Yehuda in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda says that it is kosher. So we have a machokas about using a dry lulav. The Chachamim say no, because it's not hadar. It's not beautiful. Rabbi Yehuda says it's fine. You can use a dry lulav. Ah, you know the truth. I didn't translate that accurately. I apologize. The Brisa just says if it's dry. It doesn't tell us what it's talking about. A dry item, the Chachamim say, is no good. And Rabbi Yehuda said a dry item is fine. I apologize, I, I misled you because I really what I said is what Rav is about to say. Oh my Rav, Rav is now going to define this brisa, which, is, which t- tells us that the Chachamim say dry is no good, and Rabbi Yudas says dry is good. Says Rav as follows, Machlokes v'lulov. 
The machlokas is only in regards to a lulav, whether or not a dry lulav is good or no good. The Rabbanon Savri, the Rabbanon hold, makshinon lulav le'esrog. We make a hekesh, we make a connection between the laws of lulav and the laws of esrog. What's the connection? Ma'esrog bo'i hadar. Just like an esrog requires that it should be muhudar, it should be beautiful. Because that's what the Pasuk says, pre-eats hadar. Af lulav bo'i hadar. Lulav also needs it. And therefore, the Chachamim say in this b'risa, just like they say in our Mishnah, not only would we reject a dry esrog or a non-pretty esrog, as we'll see, but a lulav also has the same characteristics. We make a connection between the, the esrog and the lulav, and so a dry lulav is no good. Rabbi Yehuda holds, we don't make that connection. We don't make the connection to lulav. It's no problem having a dry lulav. Aval be'esrog hakol hadar be'inon. When it comes to an esrog, says Rava, everybody would agree that you do in fact require hadar because that's in the Pasuk. This is going to be the subject of our discussion for the next 20 minutes, so let's try to get it straight because the Gemara is going to try to poke a hole in it and eventually succeed in poking a hole in it. So a spoiler alert. First you have to understand what we're going to say and then we're going to reject what we have to say. So the first thing that Rava says is, this machlok, we have a, a b'risa that just says a general rule. The rabbis say dry is no good. Rabbi Huda says dry is not a problem. It's fine. You could use dry. What are they talking about? What's the subject of the b'risa? So Rava says, they're only talking about a lulav. An esrog. Everybody would agree that an esrog requires this concept of hadar. You can't use an esrog that's not beautiful. A lulav, that we can debate. Because the Torah only said it by an esrog. So the rabbanon say... Yeah, but it's in the same Pasuk, one right after another. Just like an Esrog requires Hadar, so would everything else. And therefore you can't use a dried out Lulav. And the Rabbi Hudu would say, it's true by Esrog, but what does it have to do with Lulav? It only says the pre eight Hadar by the Esrog. Everything else would not have that requirement. That's how Rav understands this Machlokas, that it's only by Lulav where they argue, but everybody would agree when it comes to the Esrog that it has to be beautiful. We're now going to have three attempts to disprove that point and then we'll succeed in disproving it but the course of the discussion is what's going to lead us to our fascinating discussion about this concept of Hadar so let's work through the various approaches that the Gemara is going to say says the Gemara for approach number one we are on the first word of the line Uvelulov first word on the line the Gemara asks Uvelulov Loboi Rebbe Yehuda Hadar is it true, according to what Rav is saying, that a lulav itself does not need the concept of beauty, that you can use a dried out lulav like Rebbe Yehuda? I have a Mishnah which seems to imply otherwise, which is the Mishnah we just read a moment ago. Remember the case of the leaves, which hadn't totally separated, but had just all sort of uh, fleshed out from the spine. So the Chachamim said it's fine. What did Rebbe Yehuda require? Rebbe Yehuda required you to push them back and tie them up together. So the Gemara says, Da isn't that Vatsnan? We learned in the Mishnah of Yehuda Omer Yagdeno Milamal. You have to tie him up. My time, why should you tie them up? Lav Mishum Deboi Hadar. Isn't it because Rabbi Yehuda also requires beauty? He requires that the Lulav look beautiful, and it doesn't look nice when it's fanned out the, the, the leaves of the spine. So it seems like Rabbi Yehuda does require Hadar even when it comes to a Lulav. Where it says, nah, that we can explain it differently. Kidiktani Taima, we have a Brysa that explains Rabbi Yehuda's reason. Mishum Rabbi Tarfan, the name of Rabbi Tarfan, Kapos Timorim, 
kapos, it has to be uh, tied up. Meaning he has a special drusha, I don't want to get stuck on this point, a special drusha that you have to tie up the lulav above and beyond just the natural lulav, so that if it fans out, the leaves become separated, tie him back up together. But it's not because he believes that you need hadar by a lulav. So far, so good, we can leave rough as it is. Everybody agrees by an esrog, you need beauty, but by a lulav is a machloikas. The Gemara asks again, Really? He doesn't require beauty when it comes to a lulav. Don't we learn in a Mishnah later, You're only allowed to uh, tie up a lulav with a min, the same species as the lulav itself. Meaning if you tie your hadasim and aravos together with your lulav, which is a dispute whether or not you need to tie them together or just hold them together. But if you tie them together, Rabbi Yehuda says, you can only use the same min as the lulav itself. You can use a, a piece of, a, take off a different, you know, a, another lulav branch uh, and use that to wrap it around. But you can't use a rubber band, you can't use a paper clip, you can't use a piece of metal or string. You could only use the same species as the lulav itself. My time. Why would Rabbi Huda say that? Morris suggests, is it not reasonable to think that Rabbi Huda requires that because he wants it to be beautiful? He doesn't want rubber bands on your lulav and esrog. He wants the basket like we use, which is made out of leaves from a, a lulav. Morris says, no, that's also not approved. You can use all different types of materials, even if they're not particularly nice. The reason is, a halachic reason, that Rabbi Huda holds, Lulav Tzarech Eged. Rabbi Huda holds that in halacha, to fulfill the mitzvah, you must tie the lulav together with the other species. If you'd use like a rubber band or something else, now you have five species, you only have to have four. So Rabbi Huda holds you have to use something from the lulav, hadasim, or aravos to tie them together. Because since he requires it, we don't hold that way. You have to tie them together. We do, but you don't have to. It's actually a form of uh, hidr mitzvah, but you don't have to. Um, so Rabbi Huda, that's why he requires it. Okay, all of that is an introduction into our main piece of Gemara that we're going to be now focused on. So all of that hope was clear, but now we're really going to get into what the, post, the part that we're going to spend the next uh, two, three weeks on. The Gemara is asking a third question, but now it's going to ask it from the other perspective. Again, R- Rava said that Rabbi Huda doesn't require Hadar by Lulav, but Rabbi Huda does agree that he requires it by the Esrog itself. And now the Gemara is going to say, is that true that even Rabbi Huda aqu- requires uh, that even, is it true that even Rabbi Huda requ- requires Hadar even when it comes to an Asrog? Or a Lulav? Says the Gemara as follows. Even now by the Asrog, the Gemara is going to ask. Vatanya, we learned the following in Abraisa. Arba'os minin shibalulav. The four species of the Lulav. Just like you can't take any one out. You can't only have three. You need to have all four. You can't add to any of the four species. What happens if you can't find an esrog? Happened throughout Europe many, many times, I'm sure. Today, uh, we, we were afraid of this happening in the beginning of the pandemic. We weren't going to be able to get anything shipped in. What happens if you can't find an esrog? What, what, what should you do? So the Bryce says... If you can't find an Esrog, lo yavi, lo parish, velo rimon, velo davar acher. If you can't find one, 
Don't bring whatever the, I, I don't know what a parish is, but you can't bring a pomegranate or anything else. You have a price that says, I'm stuck, I have nothing. Okay, you're stuck. You can't fulfill the mitzvah. What do you want me to do? You don't have what you need. Just because you don't have what you need, you can't take a pomegranate. You can't take a, an apple. You can't take an orange. You can't take anything if you don't have what it is that you need. The b'risa then continues. Rabbi Huda Omer, af yeveshin. Not only if you can't find an esrog, can you not take a pomegranate, but if the esrog that you do have is dried out, that you can use if you are stuck. That you're allowed to use. So the Chachamim basically just said, uh, it sounds like they would not even allow you to use that, but the Rabbi Huda says, even that, even a dried out esrog would be fine if you are stuck. And Rabbi oh, Excellent. The Gemara is now going to say, and how dried out is Rabbi Huda willing to say that you can use? So the Gemara says, Amaisa. Am Rabbi Huda, last three words on the page. Am Rabbi Huda, Maisa. I have a story, top of the next page. Laman Alvar Beis, Bivnei Krachin. They were the people of these large cities. Shahoyu Moirishin es Lulveihem Livnei Vnehen. They used to give their Lulavin not only to. Uh, not only to their sons and to their grandsons, they would all pass them down, one down to, uh, to another. So the Gemara says, so Rabbi Huda wants to bring a proof to that. Look at this. You see that you can use uh, very dried out things. It's not a, uh, it's not a problem at all. And uh, look, they did it. To their sons and to the grandsons, they would pass them down one to another. So clearly, Rabbi Huda has no problem. The Brisa has spoken about both Lulavim and Esrogs. And he said, yeah, and I have a story. They would pass down Lulavim from one generation to the next. The Chachamim responded and they said, Misham Rai, that story is a proof? You think you could bring a proof from a story like that? Ein Shasadchak Raya. That's what we call a Shasadchak. A pressing time of need. They didn't have. And since they didn't have, you can't bring me a proof from somebody who did something during a pressing time. Clearly, that is a different circumstance. And because it's a different circumstance, you can't bring any proof from that. That's the brysa. Let's take a look at that alone for a moment. And then we'll, go, and then we'll, we'll bring it back to what, what the Gemara is, uh, is, is doing with this. So the, the brysa itself says... Two issues. We talk about a lulav and an esrog. The, the Gemara started with an esrog, saying, if you don't have an esrog, can you bring a, a pomegranate? Can you use something else? No, nothing to do. Rabbi Yudha says, well, what you can do is use something that's very dry. And I have a proof, he says, that there was a story that there was a city that used to bequeath their lulavim from one generation to the next, all the way down to grandchildren. Clearly, very, very dry by the time it gets down to the grandchildren. So you see, there's no problem using dried out things. So the Rabbanan said to him, it's true they did that, but you can't prove anything from that because they didn't have anything else. That's what we call Shasat Chak. It was a time of great pressing need. So it's true that that happened, but that doesn't prove anything in Halacha. Okay, that's the Brisa. We're going to get back to this in great length. The bottom line, why is the Gemara bringing us this b'risa? So the Gemara continues. The Gemara says, third line down, Ketani mi'os Rabbi Huda Oimer af yeveshin k'sherim. 
It says in the Brisa that Rabbi Huda said, even dried out lulavim are totally kosher. My love, Esroig. Isn't he referring to both a lulav and an Esroig? Because the beginning of the Brisa talked about an Esroig. Then he brought a story about a lulav. Isn't he bringing the story to prove it doesn't make a difference? A lulav and an Esroig, they're all fine if they're dried out. And that would prove that not only does he argue about lulav that doesn't, even an Esroig, maybe he argues and says, does not require Hadar. Gemara says, hey, he can't prove that. Lo, a lulav. At the end of the day, he only mentioned a lulav in his story. So you could only prove from there that a lulav, he's willing to say, is dry. But that we knew already. Rava says, he, of course we know that he argues by a lulav that it can, doesn't need hadar. Our question is whether or not he would even say that by an esrog. One last little piece of Gemara. Just to finish up, we're going to skip a few lines because the next couple lines are not relevant to our particular discussion. The Gemara, by the way, says in the lines that we're skipping, why can't you use a remote? If I don't have anything else, at least let me use a pomegranate to at least recall the mitzvah and the way that it should have been done. The Gemara says, true, this year you're going to remember the way that it do something. But what's going to happen next year? All the kinderlach are going to grow up in town and remember that you shook a lulav and pomegranate. And if it happens another year and then another year, all of a sudden, before you know it, you just created a new minig in Klal Yisrael, and you're going to shake a lulav and pomegranate. That's going to be a disaster, because eventually we're going to get a tzreigim again. So in order to prevent that, don't use anything better not to do anything than to do, uh, than to do that. Not even a lemon. Not even a lemon, exactly. Not even a lemon. The Gemara concludes, uh, uh, was like maybe ten lines down, the first word on the line is de'asi. Dalad Aleph Tuf Yud. The third line is the third word on the line is Tuf Shema Tuf Shin. Maybe ten, eleven lines down. The Gemara concludes this discussion by saying Tuf Shema Esrog Hayashin. The Brisa that talks explicitly about an Esrog and an old, dried out Esrog is possible. You can't use that. That's for sure. Pre Eitz Hadar. It's not Hadar if it's dried out. For Rabbi Yehuda Machshir, Rabbi Yehuda says it's fine. Even an Esrog, which is what we've been trying to. Which means the Gemara concludes Tiyufta Derava Tiyufta. We have a, this is this will uh, dis- definitively disprove Rava that indeed Rabbi Yehuda never holds of the concept of Hadar, not by an Esrog, not by a Lulav. Which means that the opening brisa that we started with is that the Rabbanon hold you need Hadar by everything. I need it by an Esrog, and I connect the halacha of an Esrog to everything else. The lulav has to be hadar, can't be dry. The aravos have to be hadar, not dry. The hadasim, everything is learned out from the esrog. Rabbi Huda says, I don't hold of the whole concept. You don't need a hadar. You don't need hadar at all, not even by an esrog. As long as you have an esrog, Torah says, take a esrog together with a lulav and hadas. I did. It's not beautiful. Who says it has to be beautiful? True, there's a concept that we try to beautify our mitzvahs, but if, if you have a non-beautiful pair of tefillin, you're not Yotzev. Yeah, it's not beautiful. You're Yotzev. Same thing would apply to Lulav. We don't disqualify, says Rabbi Huda, without being beautiful. The Rabbanon say, we do disqualify. And, and it connects not just from Esrog, but to everything else as well would be, uh, would be disqualified. Oh, 
So the Gemara asks that question at the very end of this, at the very end of this piece of Gemara. The Gemara says, after definitively proving this, this concept that we're at right now, that Rabbi Huda does not hold of Hadar, what does he do with the phrase pre-8s Hadar? Torah says that it's a fruit of the beautiful tree. So Rabbi Huda would say, on the most simple basic level, it's defining the tree that we know that we take the esrog from. And if you look a few pages later, a few dapim later, when the Gemara gets to the Mishnah addressing esrog, the Gemara asks, and how do we know that the pre-8th Hadar is the esrog tree? And the Gemara presents four approaches as to how to darshan the words pre-8th Hadar. One is, for example, that it's Hadar bi'ilono mishana lishana, that it stays on the tree from year to year, or that it's like a, uh, a deer, uh, a corral of an animal that uh, the Gemara says that just like the animal corrals have big animals and little animals all together, the esrog tree, because it doesn't all harvest and ripen at the same time, at the same time as the tree, you have big esrogim and little esrogim, just like a corral. We dash in the word, so hadar, like it lives on the tree, or deer, that it's like a corral, or that it's like idur, like water. There are four different drushas of what to do with the phrase, none of which conclude that it has to be beautiful. So Rabbi Yehuda would hold of one of those other approaches, and he has the, the Mesorah. At the end of the day, it's a Mesorah that we know that it's the Esrog tree. And the drushas are other types of drushas, not necessarily that it's beautiful. And he doesn't hold the Vadar at all. The Torah concept, the general concept of Zekeli Van Veyu, we should beautify mitzvahs, that applies to all mitzvahs. But that's only a Lechatchila. Ideally, you should do it. We never disqualify a mitzvah if it's not beautiful. We try to beautify mitzvahs. The Rabbanon hold, unique to the Arba Minim of Sukkis, in addition to the regular concept of we always try to beautify mitzvahs, unique to the mitzvah of sukkah is a concept of pre eitz hadar that we'll disqualify a lulav that's dried out. We'll disqualify an esrog that's dried out and hadasim and aravos and there are various other halachas as well which we have, we're just focusing on being dry but there's a whole list as you go through the parak of disqualifications because it's not beautiful. And the Rabbanon would hold, this is more than the usual concept of beautifying mitzvahs. We'll disqualify something if it's not beautiful when it comes to the Arba Minim, which Rabbi Huda does not hold of. Okay, so far so good. Let me just summarize the question that we're going to tackle Mirza Hashem when we pick up again next week. And the question is as follows. Now that we've established the two approaches, we have the approach of the Rabbanon, as we just said, we disqualify if it's not beautiful. It's unique to the Arba Minim. It must be Hadar, not just ideally. If it's not... It's, we said the Mishnah says, a lulav a gazel is puzzle. You can't use it. Simply puzzle. An esrog, the, the Bryce that we read at the end said, an esrog yavesh, a dried out esrog is puzzle. Rabbi Yehuda didn't hold that way, but the Rabbanan did. Within the trying to figure out what Rabbi Yehuda holds, along the way, we brought a story. The story went that there was a town that used to hand their lulavim from generation to generation and use it from one to the next, not just to their children, even to their grandchildren. Safe to say, by the time a lulav got down to a grandchild, it was pretty dry, and yet it was used. The Rebbe Yehuda brings that as a proof to himself. He says, look, that's what happened in the, in the story. Everybody in town, the Rabbanim in town, the rabbis of the shul all saw what was going on. Everybody saw they were using a dried out lulav. It was kosher. It was actually okay. Everybody used it. Proof to me that there's no such concept of Hadar. It's a good proof. How did the Rabbanan respond to that? It's a true story. It happened. What did they say? Shasat Chak. 
They said that is a, they didn't have. They didn't have. Since they didn't have, okay, what are you going to do? Here's our question. What do I do in a Shasat Chak when I don't have an astro? Can I take a pomegranate? Shasat Chak, I don't have anything else. So why can't, why can't I take a pomegranate? Because it's not the mitzvah. I know you don't. You can't take a plastic esrog either because that's not an esrog. It's no good. Can't take something which is no good. I don't care that it's a shasat chak. So if the rabbanon hold that, a, that the concept of hidur, the concept of beauty, is a, is a concept unique to the arba minim, not just like all of Torah where it's ideal. It's unique to the Arba Minim where we'll disqualify if you don't have it. The Mishnah said, dry lulav and esrog, it's puzzle, you can't use it. All of a sudden now I'm in a shasat chak, I could use a puzzle esrog. If it's puzzle, if it's no good, it's no good. Just like I can't use a pomegranate. What then is the get there? What is the understanding of the mitzvah of beauty that on the one hand the Rabbanan say it's so strong not just that it's ideal, it will disqualify. You can't use it. It's possible if it's dried out. Yet they said, well, if you don't have anything else, you can use it. So where does it fit, this mitzvah of Hidur, this mitzvah of Hadar, specific to the Lulav and Esrog? When, I, when can I and when I can't I? This question, we will see some fascinating approaches to understand why the Rabbanan were willing to accept the dried out lulav when they had no other choice, even though they hold this is a real bona fide disqualification. You can't use it if it doesn't fulfill a die. We'll pick up with that, Mirz Hashem, next week. Yeah. Correct. So that, that, that's the drasha. In other words, Rabbi Huda disagrees with that whole concept. So they understood, because since it says the word hadar in the phrase of the pre hadar, it must require a level of beauty. That's where, they're, that's where they're coming from. So now understanding how far they're willing to take it, that will see Mirz Hashem. Uh, some very fascinating approach. And we'll see a second Gemara as well uh, that addresses it just in an interesting way. And then we'll apply it to all of our mitzvahs as we do. Um, all of the mitzvahs that we do. Okay.